This is Adam Schefter, live from the M-Den for the Core 4 Podcast. Kinda looks like Tippy Storm and she dance like little Egypt. She works down the snake farm. Snake farm, it just sounds nasty. Snake farm, it pretty much is snake farm. It's a reptile house, snake farm. Alright, welcome to the Core 4 podcast. Obviously, I'm not Sultan. He is down and out. I think one of his daughters is sick. So this is your boy Click here with Chunks and Goof. Going to get into it here on November 11th. Talk about the various things going on with sports. We have some exciting stuff coming up. Uh, Wonderful interview that we'll go in detail about later, along with uh, another one coming up next week. Um, So welcome, guys. How's it going? What's going on? So we're going to jump right in here first to basketball with the NBA. Um, wanted to talk about a couple things. Goof, I'll let you kind of take over the reins since you're the, the basketball guy here. First and foremost, I think the biggest news of the week is definitely the Jimmy Butler trade. Chunks, what, it, what did you think about the return that they got? I was a little surprised that they didn't get a single first-round pick. Yeah. What did you think? With the 76ers in the position they're in, with the guys they now have, you would think the Timberwolves would ask for a little more out of that, you know? Jimmy Butler is a huge key for the 76ers to really start putting this all together. I do like uh, the players they got in return, but yeah, they definitely should have got a higher pick, I thought. I like Sarge. He's a really good stretch four, and Robert Covington can provide more shooting because that's what the Timberwolves do need is some guys that can shoot the ball play off the ball a little bit, but it just, I couldn't believe that they didn't get a first round pick And man, does that make the Sixers really talented one through five. We haven't seen the East this well spread out at the top in a while. You know, it's actually, there's actually four, like four teams up there, like the Raptors, the Bucks, the Celtics and the 76ers who are all capable of playing good basketball and actually challenging the west a little bit is i was just gonna say is the top of the east now better than the top of the west it's not better but it's at least competitive now you know i mean it might be though top four teams in the west you're looking at golden state i mean can you really count on houston right now with all the stuff going on with carmelo denver looks really good san san antonio and I mean, you can kind of toss up. The West is definitely deeper, but if you look at just the top four teams in the West and in the East, the East might be better. It's tough for me because Golden State's always a trump card. Um, but yeah, the Rockets. That's true. The Rockets have not been nearly what they should have been coming into this year, and they're having trouble with Melo. The th- Thunder, maybe up there. Thunder have looked good. Yeah, they've been. They've been playing pretty well as of late. Portland can get in the conversation every once in a while, you know. But Yeah, they're they're definitely deeper. There's definitely more teams in the West, mm-hmm. without a doubt. That's a good point. I I guess when you really look at it, those top four versus top four, you, you do have to take the East at this point, which is I think is one of the best things for basketball right now because it's just been such dominance out of the West. I still don't – I mean, the Celtics – 
I think they're the best out of there. I know you do too, Goof, but I still don't see any of those teams really giving Golden State a run for their money yet. No, I think there's still, if you were to look at the NBA as a whole, there's the Warriors are still in a league on their own, but now like that second tier is really full. There's a lot of teams that can compete, and you could be like, oh, you know, especially in the East, there's four teams that, like you said, could be in the finals. And in the West, there's four teams that could be in the conference finals to play the Warriors. So now moving on to college basketball, guys. So Duke, I've already heard some things. People are already saying that they're best team in history. Thoughts on that? Too soon to make that call? Or, or where are they going to go from here? For me, this is an obvious overreaction. It's been two games, but they are the real deal. We're, they're going to be the team to beat all season. They're young, which can be a problem in college basketball, but they have three guys who can, three freshmen, all of them dropped 20 today. Any of them can score 30 on any night. And they're really just putting it to these guys. I mean, they put it to a number two seed first game of the year, John Calipari, and it wasn't even close. They were, they could do nothing to stop Zion and R.J. Barrett, who every everyone's all over Zion right now because we've been all over him for five years. We've been watching this kid. But R.J.'s probably the best player in the nation right now, and it's going to be tough for anyone to come up against them. But as for the best team in history, I mean, it's way too early to call, and I don't I don't think they'll get quite there. Yeah, you can't say best team in history after two games. I'm with you on that. But and you didn't even bring up Cam Reddish. He's yeah. just like it's crazy that you look at those three guys and every, Zion gets all the hype because of the highlights. But that man is a physical monster. He's bigger than Gronk. He's bigger than Khalil Mack. He's bigger than Allie Raisman and Simone, Simone Biles with a average-sized <laughs> Dalmatian. <laughs> what were yes. those stats? <laughs> that just happened. I don't know where that. I don't know where they got that one, but I mean, he is a huge human being and jumps out of the gym. Plus, what's impressed me most about his game is he can shoot it from, like at least the college three-point line, which is insane for. A kid that's 19 years old, weighs 280 pounds, and has a 43-inch vertical. So you got to hope at that point, then, if you're playing Duke, right, that the freshmen finally play like freshmen. Or am I off base here? You just hope they have that. And, and maybe they won't with the way they're playing now. But two games in, you just got to pray you catch them on a night where it falls, I would say falls apart, but it, maybe it does. Duke always seems to have a little mid-season lull. It usually comes without fail. But, the, yeah, it's important to remember these guys are freshmen. They've never been tested like this before. We we see it all the time in college basketball with these high-profile recruits coming in and just getting hurt pretty easily off the bat. Like, I mean, look at Michael Porter Jr. or even like Kyrie Irving with guys like that. So it's – there's – College basketball is a long season, longer than any of these guys have really played before. The ACC doesn't start playing their real like, conference games till 2019. So it's a long season, still a lot going forward. Um, definitely good to have a Kentucky win for Duke. That's huge. But it's just so many unknown variables. Yeah. 
the biggest problem for college for freshmen is that middle of the season yeah. where your normal high school season would be over and you're just in the middle like you've played as many games as you've played in a whole season and you're now in the middle of your season if they can push through that and the the crazy thing about college basketball is you can have the most dominant team and very easily not win championship because that tournament is so it's a gauntlet to get through and you know you lose one time and you're done so and that's where they're going to be remembered if they win the championship there's a chance they get you know maybe you can look at them as the best team ever but and you know chunks like the fab four doesn't get looked at because they didn't win fab five yeah fab five sorry yeah for sure all right well now we're going to shift over to the uh nhl uh this week we were extremely fortunate uh first interview series that we're going to have here on the core four podcast Salt and I were lucky enough to speak to John Walton, who is the voice of the Washington Capitals. Uh, John has called three Calder Cup championships in the AHL with Hershey. He's called a gold medal game uh, last year with the U.S. women's team and this past year called the Stanley Cup playoffs and inevitable Stanley Cup victory. Um, So very fortunate about that, and we'll kind of let you in on what he had to say. Welcome to the uh, the Core Four podcast, a special edition here uh, today. Uh, we've been really, really excited about this opportunity. Uh, we're going to start our interview series with uh, the voice of the Caps, the uh, the man himself, John Walton. Um, really excited to have you on. Kate and Andrew, great to be with you. Thanks for having me. No problem. Uh, just a little backstory. Interestingly enough, uh, was it for seven seasons you were the public address announcer for the Cincinnati Reds? I was, yeah, right out of school. I started in 1996. I was there until 2002, right before they opened the new ballpark. So, yeah, closed down Riverfront Stadium slash Synergy Field, and uh, it was a pretty fun part-time job back in the day. <laughs> so that, that's where my background is from. Um, interestingly enough, I'll, I'll give you some information about our uh, podcast here. We're, we're the Core 4 podcast, which means we talk about the core four sports, basically. So we try to get hockey in as much as possible, try to get a little bit of baseball. So uh, you followed the, uh, the unfortunate uh, World Series this year at all? <laughs> yeah, uh, not uh, what you would want to draw up as either uh, a former Reds employee and still a Reds fan, or I actually grew up in Minnesota and a big Twins fan too. So uh, either way, not great, but uh, that's okay. That's why they say wait till next year. and. For the Reds and the Twins both, it's been a lot of years now. I think if you add them up between the two, I think we're like at 52 years. So <laughs> hopefully they get it turned around pretty soon. I'll tell you what, though, with that Twins uh, wild card game, last year, I'm a Yankees fan, so I'm pretty happy about it. But I was, I was scared to death after that first inning, I'll tell you what. Um, I was actually there, believe it or not. I was sitting ooh. behind third base. I'd gone up right before the season started last year. And everybody should go into Yankee Stadium as someone wearing enemy colors in October at least once because it's breathtaking. Uh, you'll hear a lot of people saying a lot of different things when you're wearing a Kirby Puckett jersey in there. But I did, and I actually had a lot of fun doing it. A memorable sports experience, even if my guys didn't win. That's fantastic. Um, so also to move on a little bit, uh, we were talking a little bit beforehand. Cliff's got a little bit of an attachment to Hershey 
uh, being a season ticket holder, um, you spent a little bit of time, well, actually quite a bit of time, and covered uh, three of their Calder Cup championships. Uh, what, what were those seasons like? Between 2006, 2009, 2010, uh, what would you say was the, uh, the one that you saw the most magic in? Well, it probably requires a little bit of backstory first. I came to Hershey in the fall of 2002, and I was replacing a very popular announcer in Dave Mishkin, who's been with the Tampa Bay Lightning for almost two decades now. And when I came to town, uh, the Bears had won a few years back in 1997, but it had been a while, and the Colorado Avalanche affiliation at the time was starting to wane. And by wane, I mean they stopped giving them prospects. So uh, they went from being a pretty good team to uh, not so good. My first year in Hershey, we made the playoffs, but we went out in the first round to Chicago. The second year, we didn't make it at all. The third year, we didn't make it either. And it was at that time that the Bears decided that they'd seen enough of the Avalanche and were shopping for a new affiliate. So in the summer of 2005, uh, knowing just in about maybe two months before that that we had affiliated with Washington, we hired Bruce Boudreaux as our coach. And there are moments in your life that change everything forever. And that was one for me, not just because Bruce and I are still friends today, we are, uh, not because the Caps won, uh, or the uh, the Bears rather won in 2006, his first year there, which certainly was a big step in the right direction. But affiliating with Washington to have the five years of success that we did, winning again in 2009, winning in 2010, got to the final in 2007, so four times in five years, which gave me a lot of airtime in the Washington, D.C. market on Comcast Sportsnet, a lot of people paying attention. The Caps weren't very good uh, at the time, they were still becoming the team that they are now. But uh, the beginning of the, the Alex Ovechkin era, uh, they didn't win the first couple of years as good as Alex was. So a lot of attention was paid to the Bears. Uh, no small part, that helped me come to Washington in 2011. So now part of eight seasons in the NHL and a Stanley Cup winner, uh, none of which wouldn't have happened if we hadn't affiliated with Washington. So sometimes losing for a little while, if you hang with it long enough, maybe it ends up being the best thing that ever happened to you, and it certainly was for me. Now, I know that, I know oh, that you know, in the hockey community, it's always tight-knit, regardless if you know, you're, you're a Bantam player or all the way up to the pros. I can imagine it had to be great for you to watch some of those players grow from Hershey going up to Washington, whether it was uh, Beegs, Holby, Carlson, all those guys. I'm sure those relationships are intact. What, what was that like, you kind of moving, I won't say up the ranks, but moving forward in your career just like a lot of those guys? Yeah, I, and we all kind of came up at the same time in different roles, obviously. But uh, I think my favorite of all of those guys is Jay Beagle, uh, which is not to slight any of the others you mentioned, but uh, he's a guy that never had anything handed to him. He was an undrafted player. He was a free agent. He caught Washington's eye early, but uh, someone who was not even a guarantee to make the Hershey Bears roster uh, during the glory times did, had a great year, became a great defensive player, became a great face-off guy, and, and got a little bit of taste of the postseason uh, prior to my arrival here in Washington. But uh, for the most part, our careers went alongside one another. Uh, one of the nicest people you'll ever meet, uh, someone who appreciates everything that he has. And I hated to see him go, but I certainly love to see him sign a big contract with Vancouver. And uh, that, that's it is neat to be able to watch these guys from who they were back then to who they are now, and uh, and Jay is as good as they come. 
Uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, last year's season. Um, when do you think – did you see anything throughout the season where you're like, okay, this team has a chance to really defy the past years of, of losing in, in these tight games? For being honest, not really. Uh, I think that when you look at what had happened the previous two years, everything was going to be judged on how they did in the postseason. So whether they'd won the President's Trophy for a third straight year or just finished the season strong and finished first but weren't the best overall team in the league, uh, every time, as long as you get in the postseason, you've got a shot. Uh, when they lost game one to Columbus, they said, well, that's not good. You lose game two to Columbus, and, well, this might end real fast. And then they go to overtime in game three, and if, you know, Columbus is on a power play. If they score, you know, this thing's over before it even starts, and they're down three games to none. But I, I think when Alex Ovechkin said that we're going to come back and we're going to get this thing even and then we'll be ready for game five and then backed it up and, Sure enough, that's what happened. I think the belief for me started maybe there, but it was, I think, like anyone else. Uh, We've seen Pittsburgh a lot. It never goes well. So to be able to see them finally beat Pittsburgh, to do it in their building, to do it in game six, to do it in dramatic fashion, uh, without a doubt in my mind, once you went to the third round, I thought the whole world's changed now. This is something that can actually happen. And as good as Tampa Bay was, and Tampa Bay was the best team that Washington faced in the playoffs, uh, without question. I think they are still a legitimate threat now. Uh, but beating them in seven uh, and then getting to the final, uh, I don't think there was in a moment, I think, after the Kuznetsov goal, but certainly by the time that they got to game one of the final, uh, I thought it was only a matter of time before they won. Could you believe, and I think I woke up everybody in my apartment complex here in Baltimore when Kuzi scored that goal, what was going through your mind? I think I paused for a second with, I don't want to say disbelief, but, you know, you kind of let out all that, you know, you take a deep breath finally. We finally got past Pittsburgh. When you were making that call, which I'm going to be honest with you, I've listened to hundreds of times because it's the best thing in the world to me. Um, what, what was running through your mind? Could you, did you have to take a second and think about, wow, this is, this is finally happening for us? I think the second for me was in a call of a play-by-play of, of what you see in front of you, it happens pretty quick. And when the pass comes ahead and when he breaks in, you think for maybe half a beat that this could be it. And you hope that it is, and it was. I don't think it was till after I made the call and Ken Saverin started talking. And the first words that came out of my mouth after Kenny had stopped was, quite simply, and there's, some, there's nothing profound about this, but Kenny, they slayed the Penguin. Like, I, I just, it, it, I think, dawned on me then that, you know, for all of the times, and certainly the previous two, but a lot of history that goes back even further than that, it was something that did feel a little bit of, uh, a bit of disbelief there. I, I don't think there's any doubt about that, but uh, I can tell you the plane ride home was fun, and I saw Susie <laughs> out on the back dock going to the bus. The first time I saw him, I I gave him a big hug, and I said, thanks for the biggest call of my career. I didn't know that we were still had a couple more to come yet, but I still think it might be. I still think it's the biggest goal in, in team history, and I was just glad that I got to be a part of it. So uh, we all saw the, uh, the videos and, and whatnot from the amazing celebration afterwards there. Uh, what was your day like with the Cup? Wasn't that, do you think it was a little heavier than, uh, than Ovechkin's partying? <laughs> Yeah, I had a a really neat experience. Uh, I I actually had two. Uh, The night before the banner raising, 
uh, we had all the radio and television guys uh, and, and media and friends, and, uh, and I live in Maryland, so uh, our, our local police department uh, came by, and, and they had pictures with it. I, I actually had it at my house. We had crabs in it. Uh, we actually, one of the funniest things of the whole night was that uh, we wanted to wash it out after we had the, you know, the crab dirt in there, and the, the old bay and whatever. So, yeah, you know what, let's wash this thing out before we do pictures. So uh, in my house, the Stanley Cup got washed out in my kitchen sink, which I have pictures of and which is pretty amazing. But I think the, the biggest day for me was I got to go to Oxford, Ohio, where I went to college. Uh, I went to Miami University. Mitch Korn uh, was the goalie coach when I was there. Mitch and I go back a long way. And we got to do that together uh, with the people that helped us from the very beginning when I was doing student radio and doing varsity D1 hockey was the best thing I had done to that point, uh, to come back and share it with a hockey program there and uh, to be able to see the people's faces of, you know, a lot of people that mean a lot to us. Uh, I think that was a really special thing. And we got to take it to my old college bar, which if you ever get the chance to do that, you definitely should. Uh, never, uh, never really thought that I would ever be able to do that, but it was, it was a lot of fun. So I, I always wanted to ask you this. I'm sure it's a question you get all the time, and I'm sure you've answered it, and it's on the Internet somewhere. But good morning, good afternoon, good night. Was that something that – did that just come out of nowhere, or was that something you've you know, just always had in your arsenal? I never always had it. Uh, it did come out of nowhere. That, that's a Hershey thing. In fact, yeah, that's, I was yeah. this close to leaving it by the side of the road, honestly, when, uh, when I came here. I wasn't sure if it was something that would transcend. It was a Hershey, Wilkes-Barre, Scranton thing one night, and it turned into – a little bit more, but uh, it was the first question I got. I had mentioned before about how a lot of my games or broadcasts got into Washington when the Bears were on a run, which is how I ended up coming here anyway. Uh, but it was the first question I got from the Washington Post when they interviewed me. They said, hey, you're going to bring that catchphrase with you? And I'm like, well, if they're asking about it, maybe I should. And, and I decided to, and I'm glad I did. Uh, that's awesome. It's, uh, it, it's always great to hear because it means good things for the Caps. Um, kind of just to step aside, I know you, you're local and I'm in Baltimore. I, I coach uh, for a rec program as well. With, you know, the resurgence of the Capitals, having, you know, great community outreach, um, you know, obviously the success with the Cup, you've been here long enough now. How have you seen hockey as a sport grow in this area, whether it's Baltimore, D.C., Virginia? What, what have you seen, um, you know, with, you know with, the, with the rec players in the area? Well, I think it's called the Ovechkin factor. Uh, I think hockey has had a decent foothold here, but hasn't really taken off to its current modern heights until Alex came on board. And we will forever be thankful for Alex's presence here in Washington. He is going to the Hall of Fame. He will probably be the greatest power play goal scorer of all time. He will be one of the greatest goal scorers of all time statistically. And in this generation, he's the best. And Having that kind of talent in our city has only made the popularity of the sport grow. I think you've seen it in the growth of the high school programs. I think you've seen it in the growth of the youth programs. Uh, rink uh, uh, things that have uh, occurred in, you know, all through Maryland, D.C., and Virginia with the presence of the Capitals in a lot of local rinks and street hockey. and It's phenomenal. And there's going to come a day when Alex isn't here anymore, and he's on the back nine already, which we don't like to think about. But he's done more than anyone ever could. And winning a Stanley Cup made it even better, and hopefully that's the solidification of the Ovechkin era that 
will continue the progress of this franchise forward once he's gone. I, I think that they're in tremendous shape. I think being able to win finally and show the world that they can break through and they can stand with the elite in the National Hockey League. I said at opening night in my speech on the ice that we are forever changed, and I truly believe that because of all of the moments that we'll remember where it wasn't just disappointment at the end of this thing and hope that gets kicked to the curb. It's it's a moment we'll always cherish, and it doesn't matter how many years if it's you go back to back or you don't do it for 30 more years. They did it. They finally broke through, and, and we'll always remember that. So uh, speak, speaking of uh, the, the Red Sox, a couple of weeks ago, it seemed to be a lot of fans are like, oh, we just need one, and then we'll, we'll die happy. But then they kept on winning, and now they have this new feeling. Do you feel like that's the same thing with the Capitals, like one isn't enough? I think it could be, and I think Alex Ovechkin certainly believes it. I think the core of this team knows how to win now, and I think that's how those things happen. I think the Red Sox are a great example. You go a long time without winning, and then you do, uh, whether it's the Cavaliers with LeBron or if it's, uh, you know, a lot of the, the Cubs or, or anybody that's won lately uh, that hasn't won in a long time. Once you figure it out, it's, it, you know what it takes and you know what it feels like, and, and knowledge is power. And I think for this team, I think that's the case. I, it doesn't mean that they will, but uh, these guys will, are Stanley Cup champs forever, and I think if they can push forward – and you need the bounces, you need some good fortune, you need guys to be healthy. But if you can do it, there's no reason they can't do it again. Was there any goals that you wanted them to reach um, this year, and do you think they're on pace for it? Uh, I, I don't know about goals. I mean, I, I think that just getting over the emotion of playing to a Stanley Cup championship and then playing, you know, with all due respect, like the Florida Panthers in October doesn't quite have the same jam. So, uh, I think there's a little bit of mental toughness that you've got to, you know, listen, there's a lot of months before the playoffs start again. And, you know, the games don't mean as much as they did in June. So I, I think they're fighting through that pretty well. I think now that they won two straight, now that they beaten Pittsburgh and gotten their first win against the Penguins under their belt, uh, I think this is about the time that they'd be taken off. A lot of games in the month of November. Uh, I don't. I think it's just, you know, stay the course and have everybody healthy and, have everybody playing their best hockey by the time you get to the middle of April and then hopefully into May and, and hopefully into June again. So tomorrow night you guys are having the Hockey Fights Cancer night, correct? Correct. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, I just noticed um, that uh, Linda, Linda there, uh, Craig, uh, Craig's wife there, um, just released about her uh, public uh, cancer fight there. Um, so, do you expect a really emotional night tomorrow? I do. Uh, you know, she's, uh, she's means a lot to our broadcasting family, and I'm still the kid in the group. I mean, they've been together for 25 years, Joe and, and Craig. And, you know, for me, uh, you know, this has been eight years, but, you know, I've, I've been to the Lachlan house. I have uh, been invited for New Year's Eve. We were there just this past year, and, uh, you know, there it's uh, a bond that goes deeper than the rink, and for all of us, and for Joe B especially, uh, his local family here is you know, the Lachlan family, and and their two kids, Kyle and Courtney. So, yeah, I, I think it will be emotional. Uh, you know, hopefully she's uh, on her way to recovery, and uh, the fact that she 
uh, would do this tomorrow and, and look to support others who are in a similar situation, I think says a lot about her. I think it says a lot about the Lachlan family. And I am looking forward to seeing her tomorrow and seeing her drop the puck, uh, but I hope she's on the road to recovery soon. That's the most important thing. For the listeners out there, is there any, um, you know, any uh, places where we can support Hockey Fights Cancer website or anything? I would say uh, go to the CAPS website. There's a lot of different uh, links and information there, just at WashingtonCAPS.com. Thank you. Thank you. Quick, any questions? No. Uh, John, thank you for this. Um, uh, you, you didn't have to do it. We appreciate the time, and best of luck to you all down the road. And, um, you know, we'll, I'm sure we'll, we'll all catch up at some point. But, again, thank you for your time. Absolutely, guys. Uh, happy to do it and uh, always happy to talk about the Capitol. Thanks for having me. No problem. Have a good day, John. Now we're going to move on to uh, baseball here. Know that there's not a crazy amount going on as a Baltimore guy. We're still waiting to hear more about what's going to happen with Orioles. But um, Joe Maurer retires after 15 seasons, and uh, I believe Chunks correct me, an MVP um, you know, in the Major League Baseball League. You guys have any thoughts on this and his career? It's funny because he's one of the guys you really haven't heard much about for quite some time now. But if you look at like all the comments on anything, any posts people are putting out there, it seems like everybody is big Joe Maurer fans. And I just, I don't know, it seems like a lot of people are coming out of the woodwork and saying they've been big Joe Maurer guys all along. Not saying a bad thing about him, but... I, I haven't heard much about him for a few years. Not saying that's bad, but I just don't think he got a lot of the recognition he deserved during his career. I mean, he said at 15 years, an MVP, he batted over 300 for a catcher, which is pretty insane. I mean, he was he was crazy reliable at the plate, and the guy, the guy knew how to hit a baseball, and good behind the plate too. So I've always been a huge Joe Maurer fan. Uh, it sucks to see him retire, but great career. Yeah, I thought it was uh, interesting that he brought up the concussion issue because it gets so much hype in the world of football, but he, you know, it doesn't get much recognition in baseball where, I mean, it's a risk in any sport. And, you know, I think it, it really progresses toward like where we're going as a society when we think about, you know, the health of athletes. It was cool to see that, you know, or not really cool to see, but it was interesting to uh, to see where that's going. And yeah, he was he was a fantastic player. Never did anything to cause a stir. You know, Gold Glove catcher with like you said, hitting three three hundred, won an MVP. Um, nothing bad to say about him. And, and and you know, for me, and I think I've said this in regards to to hockey and and a lot of sports on the podcast here that. He just seemed like a good guy, you know, and, and chunks to your point about a lot of people coming out of the woodworks here being Joe Maurer fans that might speak more to the person um, than, you know, actually how good he was on the diamond. So for me, it's just one of those things where, I don't know, he seems like a guy we could grab a beer with and he you share some stories. And to me, that that's really all it takes. I guess I'm an easy sell, but um that that's where I'm at the whole thing. I mean, one of the one of the biggest uh, thumbs up I've seen for him is that he stuck with the Twins over all these years. A little that's bit tough. wasted <laughs> of a career on the Twins, 
but it it is cool to see loyalty in a guy like that especially nowadays it's it's rare but i i think it really dulled him out the last few years because you really haven't heard much about him even though he he stayed a pretty consistent hitter yeah i mean there's not that much loyalty anymore i mean not not to jump the football here, but we, we could talk about Le'Veon Bell and all the crap he's doing right now. So I agree with you. Seeing a 15-year career and, and sticking with a team, it's – I don't know. I guess it's good to see. I, I don't know how, how often we're going to see that in the future across the board in sports. I think it's, it's kind of funny that you mentioned how bad the Twins have been and were during his career. It's crazy to think that they were so bad, yet – him and Justin Morneau both won MVP is like within what three years of each other. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like you don't usually see that on teams that aren't very good, and they just never really can put you know enough other pieces around those two guys to compete, which is a a sad thing for a guy that you know did so much for the game. So we're gonna move on now to uh, college football. Um, you know, guys, we're, we're creeping closer here to the end of the season. Uh, I kind of want to start out with Ohio State. And, Chunks, I'm always curious to get your perspective on that, especially being a Michigan guy yourself. You know, that was a big win for them, kind of a statement, a crucial win for them over the Spartans this week. Where do you kind of see the rest of the season playing out for the Buckeyes and, you know, everybody else involved? Probably the biggest game of the weekend, I'd say. Ohio State really needed it to stay in, obviously, for the uh, Big Ten Championship to still be able to contend. Uh, it just makes that our game against them even bigger. But they they still don't have it. You know, they started out very slow. A couple of stupid things came, like the safety went Ohio State's way, and they just ran with it from there. I don't see them being the powerhouse they have been even earlier in the season. I think Bosa was just a big loss for them on that defense. They don't look solid back there right now. And even even Haskins hasn't been as good as his numbers may say he is or his Heisman votes may say he is. So I, I wouldn't be too optimistic if I'm a Buckeye right now. I know that's easy to say coming from a Michigan guy, but they they really haven't looked good in a while. No, they haven't put a full game together. They've looked good in stretches, obviously. They, they still haven't lost other than uh... – you know, recently at least. But for them to beat Michigan, they're going to have to play a full four quarters like they did the the last half or so of the game against Michigan State. And I don't know if they're able to do that. They've not shown that they're capable yet. So I know it probably comes as, as no surprise for you guys, you know, Alabama with a shutout over Mississippi State. But, you know, for, for me... Clemson's kind of on a tear here. You know, they're rolling through the ACC right now. Their D-line is, is pretty phenomenal. Are you guys looking at Clemson at all? Or do, you, do you just kind of default to Alabama? Where do you guys stand on the whole thing? Well, it seems like Clemson's really jumping out as one of the only teams with a shot against Alabama. But it's just tough with that ACC, man. I, it's not a great gauge on the rest of college football you know and I, I do think college is a re- or Clemson is a really good team I think Trevor Lawrence is awesome I still don't see him doing much against Alabama I mean in all reality I mean their losses came from tech or Cuse and Texas A&M I mean 
I mean, in your eyes, do you guys still consider them good teams? I mean, I mean, I, I like the underdog. If anybody can take out Alabama, I'd be cool with it. Um, but do you, Goof, do you think there's a shot, or is it just kind of no one's going to beat Alabama? I I don't think so. Alabama just looks so dominant. I mean, even when Tua doesn't play, like the last week, they looked great. Their defensive line is phenomenal. Their offense, they just have so many weapons. And the, the off what, back-to-back shutouts? Uh, I don't see anybody beating them. Clemson probably has the best shot, but I, I don't see it happening. So if it comes down national championship, is everybody on the, the, the Alabama train if we're taking a realistic approach to it? Yeah. I'm, I'm not going to count out my boys. I, I do think it'd be a fun matchup, Michigan and Alabama. I think. But if, if you were impartial and you didn't go to Michigan and you had to lay it all on the line, what would you pick right now? Gun to my head? <laughs> Gun to your head. And, and – I I I'm a hundred percent just genuinely curious. I know. I'd say nine nine times nine times out of ten I take Alabama, but that being said, Michigan has limited opposing QBs to I think it's like a seventy yard passing average, and it's not like we've played slouches all year either. So, I mean, a Don Brown defense, I think they can work a miracle and make something happen against Alabama. It's just tough to play those guys for four quarters, man, with that offense pounding at you and then that defense not being forgiving at all. So it, uh, I, I think, think it'd be a decent game. I think they would have the best chance. If you're looking even better chance, I think, than Clemson because their defense is so good. If you look in the past few years, the teams that – Alabama has lost to. It seems that turn them over. Mm-hmm. You can force some turnovers and give yourself good field position against that defense. You have a chance. Turnovers Michigan, are absolutely key. Yeah. Michigan's the only team that has enough pressure going at the quarterback to maybe force some turnovers and give themselves a chance. I don't think Clemson can do that. I think that Tool will still have his way with them. But, yeah, if they can force some turnovers, could they beat Alabama? Sure. But, man, what a more interesting question. I'm switching it real quick on you guys. Sorry. But Notre Dame plays Syracuse next week. Mm-hmm. Syracuse has looked great. How much of a wrench does that throw in, and how worried do you think Notre Dame should be? I think Notre Dame should be more worried than they are. To be honest, Syracuse plays well in big games. They've proven that over the past couple of years. And I think they match up pretty well against Notre Dame. It's not going to be a cakewalk for them. They played a really bad Florida State team this year, this week. And I don't know, a lot of people were calling that upset. A lot of people have tried to call Florida State to beat some of these big teams. It's not happening. They're not good this year. <laughs> they're, they're awful. They're, they're bad, but... I, I think that helps Syracuse even more uh, with Notre Dame playing them this past week. And I wouldn't be surprised if they're able to pull it out because they know how to play for four quarters and they, they've been doing it all year. I think some of the fun part in all sports is the expectation, right? 
I mean, if if the world thinks that Notre Dame is supposed to win that game, whether it's accurate or not, you know, being that underdog or just having a chip on your shoulder, I mean, teams play up to that. Something to prove. I mean, whether it's a youth level all the way up to pro, I mean, you just you play to kind of ruin other people's seasons. Yeah. And, and really, Syracuse has a lot to play for. Yeah. They're in the middle of getting bowls, and – and look at what they've done with Clemson the last two years. They beat them last year. They played them really tough this year. I mean, they've leaped onto the scene. Nobody expected them to be a ranked team going into this season. And they're all the way up to 13 right now and just destroyed Louisville. So I think they have a lot. I think there's a lot. And I don't think that Notre Dame has played as well as they were in the beginning of the season. Yeah, it's. The way their schedule worked out and the way they played has has been perfect for Notre Dame. Um, they yeah. played well at the right times, and it's it's made all the difference for them this season. So for you guys, I mean, because you're up in that neck of the woods, and haha, a little bit of a, a plug here with the whole Q's thing. Um, you know, a win over Notre Dame. What do you think that means just for the school? Take the football out of it, but just being able to accomplish that. I mean, it's pretty awesome. Yeah, I mean, we're ranked alone for the first time since 2001. So even what this season has been so far has been amazing for Keese. But if they were to be an undefeated number three Notre Dame, it'd, it'd be bananas. Like, this would be one of the best seasons they've ever had. Um, and, I mean, Dino Babers would have his way. <laughs> he could have whatever job he wanted for <laughs> a while. So, yeah, no, it'd, it'd mean everything to uh, – to a Syracuse team that's been down and out for a lot of years. Yeah, it would it would come back to a lot of tradition because people forget that in the late 90s, they had some really talented football players that were from Syracuse. You had Marvin Harrison, you had Donovan McNabb, and you had Dwight Freeney. They were all members of Syracuse. So there's there's some tradition. You have to go back a long ways and you could go back really far to Jim Brown and Ernie Davis, but there's some tradition there that hasn't been, you know, seen in upstate New York for a long time. And I think that Syracuse is definitely bringing it back. There's a lot of hype. Niagara had a football team would crush all of you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> God, I wish Sultan was here. Um, so before we move out of the whole college football thing, you guys know where this needs to go. You got to take this trip again with me. Let's talk about um, the, the fighting okras. Freaking okras, man. Uh, I think Sultan almost called them the fried okras last year. Or last week, rather. Um, let's be real here. They won their homecoming game against Mississippi College 28-21. <laughs> to 21. Wasn't the best season, but that's a big game to win. So, so Is Mary that their Brown, first win? No, nah, it might have been their second. But, you know, hey. <laughs> Progress is progress. Um, you know, it's fine. I will say this, though. They're now 55-29-1 all-time in homecoming games. So, if nothing else, they schedule that perfectly. Um, so, you know, DSU still waiting for my swag. I'll say it again, so we'll make sure we tag you in this. But good for them. And for all you listeners that want to stay up on Delta State, don't you worry. In the following weeks, we'll be following their basketball team and other athletics. Just because football season's over does not mean we're going to stop our uh, DSU watch here. 
And by we, you really mean you. Just hey, so man. we're all clear. Hey. Not, hey. <laughs> all of our listeners know it's it's really you that's foul. You, <laughs> that, you say that now, but we're going to get some people in the bandwagon here. It's a hell of a bandwagon to be on. All right. So we're going to move on now from college football. We're going to go to the NFL. Um, interesting week, especially for me and my our Pick'ems League here. A few things I didn't see coming. The Saints put up 51. Uh, even more incredible. I'm going to explain to me how the Bills put up 41. Um, never thought we'd see that day. But here's where I want to start. And I know Goof and I, we've kind of conversed about this. But the Chargers, man. They're kind of sneakily, if that's a word, really on fire here. You know, six wins in a row. No one's really talking about them. All the hype's around the Rams and Gurley. Like, I just, I don't get how that's possible. And I know Goof and I kind of had a, a conversation about this. But, you know, what? They're they're legit, man. Like they're the real deal. I, I I don't understand why there's nothing surrounding them right now. Um, it's because they are out in the West Coast. You you don't really get to watch them very much. At least I don't. But they, their defensive line is great at getting pressure on the quarterback. Joey Bosa has been amazing, and like people forget that. Philip Rivers is, if he's not a Hall of Famer, he's really damn close to being a Hall of Fame quarterback. He's sixth all time in passing yards. Sorry, eighth all time in passing yards and sixth all time in passing touchdowns. He is really freaking good. So I guess I'll ask Chunks then, you know, is, is Philip Rivers a Hall of Famer in your mind? Yeah, I mean, without a doubt for me, actually. Even though he doesn't have like, the championships he's just been consistently he's one of my favorite quarterbacks year to year he's just always out there making he usually makes one guy look really good on his team he's just never had enough weapons around him uh, especially at the right times with the right defense and he had Antonio Gates for a long time and it's tough to really do it all with a tight end I'd have to put him up there I mean he does it every year he's got the stats like Goof said and the only thing he's missing is those big rings, which can weigh a lot on the committee when it comes to Hall of Fame voting. So do you need ring, like actual, do you need him to get a Super Bowl ring, or are you okay with some sort of playoff success? Getting to a Super Bowl, stringing two to three wins together, like, does it have to be a ring in your eyes? At this point, honestly, if he makes a Super Bowl, it, it helps him out a lot. If he gets a ring, he's that just puts him over the edge, you know, that, that really puts it down so this is gonna hurt inside so many different ways but we always rag on the bills and all the jokes that go with them but I, I feel it's only fair that we give them praise where praise is due the bills put up 41 on the jets now i get it's the jets but it's also the bills 41 points for bills mafia uh, did anybody see that that high of a number coming out from the Bills? Chunks, uh, I don't know if – I know you said earlier that you kind of thought it would be something, but did Dude, you think it would be 41? I had no doubt this week. I'm not – no <laughs> doubt. We, I called it last week. I'm pretty sure we all said it last week the Bills were going to win. Well, I, and a win I agree with, but 41? Yeah. Come on. There, no, there's no way you were sitting at home like, watch this, they're going to put 40-plus up. No way. If I if I was a betting man, I would 
I would have bet on them with a two-touchdown win. They do this weird thing where they'll come and have these giant games every once in a while. We've seen it this season, and it's a bad Jets team, so they had that on their side going forward. LaShawn McCoy was due for a big day. He had two touchdowns over 100 yards. The big question mark this week was the quarterback, obviously, and Barkley came out and played well. They got creative. They were throwing to... 320 pound dudes it was fun <laughs> when the bills are having fun doing weird shit like that it's just better for them they're usually shitty anyway so why not go out and do this weird stuff and it helps when you play a bad jets team so, so i'd like so to say Bu- i saw it coming does does buffalo just riot <laughs> like at this point is that is that just what happens next now we're gonna act like we've been here this time <laughs> So, uh, Goof, I'll I'll throw it towards you. Same game here. So, Chunks alluded to, you know, and and mentioned, you know, Barkley coming in. Do you you just keep Barkley in from here on out? I think you got to keep him in right now. I mean, it only took you five weeks of watching Nathan Peterman throw the ball to the wrong team just as often as he threw the ball to the right team. Uh, to realize he's not the guy that you should be giving the ball to, which just blows my mind. But, yeah, Barkley played good enough. I mean, 15 of 25, they didn't really need to throw the ball much, which was good for a guy that doesn't have a ton of in-game experience. I mean, he's been around the league for a while, and I think that matters too. You know, He at least knows how to be a professional. And, yeah, I think he stays – and you don't really want to throw Allen out there. You don't want to rush him back. There's no reason Just, to put him in before no. he's ready. And especially with the way the season has gone, there's no reason to put him back in. No. There's no point in rushing to put him in the game. Let it wait out. Let Markley, Barkley play for the rest of the season and start up next year with a, hopefully a renewed sense of competition. Quickly, before we get to our picks, I, I just want to touch on two games. Um, you know, the Saints, they're the real deal, right? I mean, I think I can see them winning the Super Bowl at this point. 51-14, um, to 14, not that the Bengals are great. Um, being a Ravens fan, I probably shouldn't say that since we're in just complete dire straits at this point, but that's a whole different thing. Um you guys think that the Saints make the run? Do you think Breeze gets another ring, or do you think he's got a legitimate shot? It's funny, this this year is all about high-powered offenses. The league, is, it's the way it's trending. Yeah, big time. I, the top teams we're seeing are putting up 50 points some weeks, and the Saints have been as good as anybody at it. And It's hard to translate that into the playoffs a lot of the time, but, I mean, they're 5-0 and all away. Their only loss came week one. They've got what it takes right now to really make this push. They've got the veteran guys. Their their core is solid. Their offense is solid. Adding Des Bryant would have been a nice piece, but obviously he's out for the remainder of the season. But they still didn't need it. It's They got the right attitude. Like, we're going to go after it this year. We're good, but we can still get better. And that's what you want to see in these teams, and I think that can really help them going forward. Yeah, I think that... Of all the teams that, I mean, they have just as good a shot as anybody, like you said. They're 8-1 and one right now, the same record as the Rams. If they get home field advantage, 
throughout the playoffs because it's the only thing that I think would slip them up. I mean, remember last year they were a crazy play away from beating the Vikings and then having a chance at the Eagles last year to be in the Super Bowl. They end up being at home. They That stadium gets rocking. Oh, they're really tough to beat at home in the playoffs. So if, there's a very good chance they're in the Super Bowl. And, yeah, I like their chances. And real quick, the last one, and I, I want to give the team their due as well. I mean, the Browns come out with a win against the Falcons. And I, I know the Falcons are not necessarily, uh, you know, the – creme de la creme of the league, so to speak. But, you know, Matt Ryan's no slouch. Um, Baker Mayfield comes out, you know, 12 passes, nine different targets for 165 yards and two touchdowns. You know, and you guys know I'm not a a Cleveland fan either by any stretch, but as a fan, you got to be optimistic for what comes next, especially with, you know, Hugh Jackson being let go and, and everything else going on there to get a win Amidst that whole situation, it's got to be, you know, positive for the the rest of the for the for the fans there in Cleveland. I think Cleveland suffered from too high of expectations going in with Hard Knocks and adding all those guys, but Baker's been playing well and Nick Chubb was awesome today. It's it's just good to see these young guys coming together and starting to really build work on something they can build on going forward. Three five and one not. Not where they want to be. It looks like uh, Pittsburgh's going to win that division. Um, but hey. this was... <laughs> I think they are. Pittsburgh looks solid, man. But <laughs> it, it, this was a huge one for the Browns, and it really kind of put the Falcons out of it. Falcons were start... there. It seems like every week they're just hanging on. Like Maybe they could be a good team. Just a few different plays. I mean, Julio Jones has been good. A lot of yards. Scored another touchdown. They're so close to really making something happen, and then they do something like this and lose to the Browns, which it doesn't have the same connotation as it used to in prior seasons. But it's, this one really put down the Falcons. Uh, games coming up, you know, this week. What uh, what are you looking for there in the NFL? I'm looking at. We were just talking about the Saints. They go and play the defending champion Eagles. That's that's going to be a big game because. The Eagles are in a position where they're going to need to make a statement win, so I think they're going to have a lot of, a lot of energy into that game, and it'll be a test um, for the Saints to see. You know, obviously they're for real, but it'll be another test for both teams to see if if the Eagles are for real this year. Chunks, do you uh, you got anything you're looking forward to as far as the NFL this week? All of the primetime games are really good games upcoming. Even the Thursday night game, solid with the Packers and the Seahawks. We got the North Division with uh, Bears and Vikings, and then Monday night is the Chiefs and Rams. So out of those, I'm actually probably most excited for that Chiefs and Rams games. Battle two nine and one teams on Monday night. Um, two young top of the league quarterbacks could have some MVP implications. To be honest. Um, so I'm really excited for that game. For me, it, it, it's not just because I'm a Ravens fan. I'm curious to see what happens with the Ravens and the Bengals. Um, obviously, our season's on the line here. But with Flacco having a hip injury, um, not knowing exactly what's going to happen, um, you know, I I don't want Lamar to start. But 
we'll see what happens. So I'm, I'm definitely intrigued to see what happens there. And I'm also with Goof. Uh, the Saints of the Eagles game looks uh, pretty intriguing. Um, I think there's some serious implications as well. So it's going to be a good week um, as a um, shareholder for the Packers. I'm always going to pull them, pull for them. Um, you know, like all one share that I own. So quite excited for that. But uh, before we get out of here, um, whatever sport you guys are thinking of, is there anything this week that you're, you know, or in life in general, we'll kind of change it up because your brother isn't here. So since I got the reins, is there anything going on this week that you guys are excited about, uh, whether it's coaching a game, watching a game, whatever it is? I, I'm actually excited to see a little bit of Jimmy Butler on the 76ers. I want to see how that works out. Um, excited for some more college basketball. It's been fun watching those games this week. And like I said, that Thursday night game is going to be pretty good with uh, Packers Seahawks. Goof, what about you? Yeah, I I'm excited to watch some college basketball. That's it's getting you know, coaching wise, that's my my season. So I'm starting week two tomorrow, and that that takes up most of my time. So the only thing I really have time to watch is whatever either college or NBA games on late, and watch a little bit of it and. That's about it. Uh, for me, it's, you know, like I said, the Ravens game. Obviously, I'll be following the Capitals closely um, as far as ice, ice hockey is concerned. Um, you know, looking forward to seeing the response for the the John Walton interview that we were fortunate enough to put together. Uh, maybe not mentioned earlier, but, uh, John, if you do listen to this at any point in time, uh, again, thank you for taking the time. Uh, it, was, it was an honor to have you on there. But, uh I guess I'll do it the way your brother does here, Chunks. Uh, for your boy, Chunks, for your boy, Goof, for boy, Click, and for your boy, Sultan, who's dealing with some uh, some sick children, and he may have just popped his Goof in there. Uh, well, why don't you sign us out here, bud? <laughs> I think everything's been said. Uh, I'm sure this was a great podcast tonight. Uh, thanks, everybody, for sticking around. Uh, you guys have a good, good night. Stay safe. Peace.